Thank you for joining us for this episode of the IPI Policy Basics Podcast. Today's topic is how Congress is supposed to work. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. With our IPI Policy Basics podcast, we are building an audio reference library on basic policy concepts and topics for those who want to learn and understand how to think about policy or who need to get up to speed on a particular issue. Today, I'm joined in the studio by IPI resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews, and we're going to talk about something called regular order, which is a phrase that describes how Congress is supposed to go about its business. Now, Dr. Matthews, um, these Policy Basics podcasts are not really intended to be bound to any particular date or time, but we are recording this toward the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And for about the last two decades, the end of the year has always highlighted this drama of whether the government was going to shut down or not, whether government was going to be funded or not, whether the military was going to be funded. And you have these discussions about these uh, continuing resolutions that sometimes fund the government for two more weeks or six more weeks or two and, more months. And even as we're speaking, they pass, they're passing one to fund it one week right. so that they can continue. Exactly. So you have these continuing resolutions. And then what you, the way that typically ends every year is with something that gets called an omnibus spending bill. Mm -hmm. And with the omnibus spending bill, they basically just take everything we did last year, increase it by some factor, 5% or 7% or something. Uh, and it's a must pass bill because it funds everything, mm -hmm. it funds national parks, it funds teachers, it funds the military, it, it funds everything, it funds Social Security, Medicare, all of this stuff. And so it's a must-pass bill. And so you end up with things that actually have nothing to do with government funding. You have things that probably would not win on a standalone, standalone vote in either House of Congress, but they get thrown into these must-pass bills. And if you've only been paying attention to Congress for the last decade or two, you might think this is how it always is or how it's supposed to work. But this is actually not how it's supposed to work. How it's supposed to work is something called regular order. And under regular order, there's a, there is a method and there are obligations. Uh, among the obligations of Congress, among the obligations that Congress has to do every year, is a certain number of appropriations bills. And uh, Dr. Matthews, you corrected me earlier today on this. The, the total number of appropriations bills is 12. 12. Is that right? Mm -hmm. So if Congress does nothing else in the course of a Congress, they have to pass 12 appropriations bills. Uh, and then so that is that is the obligation of Congress. But then there's the method and the method is regular order. And under regular order, you have committees in Congress, and you've all heard your member of Congress brag about what committees they're on. You know, they're on, they're on House Intelligence, or they're on, you know, the Senate Banking Committee, or whatever. Uh, these appointments are, they, they, they fight for these appointments, they lobby for these appointments, they hope to get these appointments so that they can be on these important committees. Because the committees are supposed to be important. They're actually supposed to be doing the work of putting the legislation together, the funding bills, uh, and working out the compromises. So if you have a Democrat majority in the House, you'll have probably one more Democrat than Republican on each of the committees. 
But you've got something approaching proportional representation on the committees, and those committees are supposed to act as a proxy for the overall Congress and figuring out what do we need to do to fund this part of government? What are the compromises that we need to make? What are the deals we need to make? What are the I scratch your back, you scratch my back kind of deals that need to be made in order to get that done? Well, you know, there's even a process that goes before because the president at the early part of the year presents his budget. Right to Congress. And that's usually, uh, if if it's a Democratic uh, president and Democratic uh, Congress, they'll pay a little attention to yeah. it. If it's a Democratic or Republican president and the opposite party controls Congress, they pay virtually no attention to yeah. it. And the president does that because the president is required by law to do that right. because of the Budget Act. Right. Although it, it really has sort of become just a bit of theater and what what the president's budget ends up being is sort of a wish list because under the Constitution, uh, spend all spending bills have to originate in the House. Right. So it really, the president's budget ends up just becoming, here's all the stuff I would like to do for you if Congress will cooperate. And what you'll find now is that even members of Congress, if they're of the opposite party, will essentially say, the president's uh, proposal is dead on dead arrival. Dead on arrival. That's dead a, on that arrival. is the same phrase I was going to use. And so by April of the year, then Congress is typically supposed to start trying to set an outline for the budget. Mm-hmm. And then through the summer and uh, early fall, they're supposed to try to, these various committees, 12 committees, are supposed to try to come up with their own proposals for funding and things of that nature, pass it through the committee. And then it gets put together, and then they they pass the twelve bills separately historically, and then the Senate uh, comes up and addresses it. So they try to get this done by the end of September because the beginning of the fiscal year for the federal government is October first. Right, 1st. September. Yeah, the, the federal government's not on a calendar year calendar; they're on a fiscal year calendar. And September thirtieth is when the federal government actually rolls over into a new fiscal year. Right. And so that's why the first important deadline for all of this stuff every every Congress is September 30th. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, we're talking about really two different things. We're talking again, we're talking about the obligation that, that Congress has to do these appropriations bills, which they have failed to do. But we're also talking about the method, which is regular order. Right. And regular order, order also applies to any legislation, not just the appropriations legislation. So if Congress wants to regulate flavored vapes, or if Congress wants to regulate content moderation on social media, or if Congress wants to reform health care, or whatever it wants to do, that legislation is also supposed to originate at the committee level. Mm -hmm. Sometimes more than one committee will claim jurisdiction, but the work is supposed to start with the committees. And then if the committee is able to reach consensus and pass something out of committee, then it should then it is supposed to come to a vote of the whole body, whether we're talking about the Senate or the House. And there's a certain amount of, of rationale behind this because if you've been on a committee for some time, Energy and Commerce, Ways and Means, which is the Tax Committee, uh, and uh, the things of that nature, you're supposed to have certain amount of expertise in right. this, and so you're you have a uh, supposed to have a better sense of it than maybe other members of Congress, which so, is why you end up with a lot of lawyers on judiciary, right? You end up with former members of the military on defense, you know. You 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 have people uh, the Ways and Means Committee that have some tax expertise, at least in theory. You know, in the banking committee, there are people who know, who understand finance, you know, or who have connections to the financial industry. You know, uh, commerce committee, you know, like if you come from a business background and you probably belong on the commerce, you know, those sorts of things. You're right. They're supposed to have expertise. But even if they don't have expertise, 
they they have responsibility. And, and But if they've been on there for a while, even if they didn't have expertise going in, having right. dealt with these issues, right. and you have people, lobbyists, come by and try to talk about the very... So they're, they're well, supposed to get a certain have committee staff. You right. have committee staff who have expertise. Right. And, you know, the, the, the member has his or her staff, but then the committees also have staff who are experts not only on, you know, Robert's Rules of Order and congressional history and things like that, but on the subject matter as well. So ideally, if this is moving along, and it, it did at many times, as you point out, decades ago, mm-hmm. by the end of uh, September, they've got the various bills. They've passed the committees. They're going to the House. They may put be put together or they may do it separately. And then the Senate votes on their version. And so ideally, you have them all passed by the end of September and the president signed them. Because come October, you're going into a new year. Right. So it should all be done by September 30th. Right. Um, now, again, not to be tedious, but we're, we're talking about the obligations to do appropriations, but we're also talking about this method, regular order. Mm-hmm. Now, it makes sense to talk about them both together because when regular order used to be followed, it made the, the chairman, or the, they were almost always men, but the, the chairman of the appropriations committees were very powerful. Right. And that was like your goal as a member of Congress was to become a chairman or ranking member, if you were in the minority, of one of these committees. And we used to we used to refer to these committee, these appropriations chairmen as like, you know, the old bulls, you know. I mean, they they had the power to make you as a member of Congress successful or unsuccessful. Mm -hmm. If you were on their good side, they could see to it that you got funding for projects in your districts and you were on their if you got on their bad side. You might not get your project included in the overall legislation. So they had a lot of power. And one of the things that Republicans wanted to do back in 1994 with the contract with America is the Republicans felt like these committee chairs, these old bulls had become too powerful. Mm -hmm. Now, I think it's a separate question whether or not they actually were too powerful. At the time, it certainly seemed so. Now, when we look at Congress and see Congress just not working at all, sometimes I wonder if it wouldn't be better to go back to those days. But at the time, it certainly seemed like that they were too powerful and that power ended up with too much potential for corruption. And so one of the things that the that the Republicans wanted to do was erode the power of committee chairs. Mm-hmm. And over time, I mean, this is a flavor of populism, I think, over time, uh, this took the form of committee chairs essentially having term limits. Right. That you could only be the chairman of a committee for a certain amount of time, and then you were term limited out. Now, you might then move to a different committee. Right. But you could not run ways and means for 25 years, you know, like a Dan Rostenkowski was able to do, Mm -hmm. you know, and things like that. Um, It might not be a coincidence that that seems to have been one of the steps that actually led us to where we are today where Congress just flat doesn't follow regular order anymore. And, and the committees have, 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 in many cases, especially the appropriations committees, have really been defanged and they have been deplatformed. And these, these like, the, like the, the bill to fund the Department of Defense, no longer originates in that committee. Mm-hmm. And we, that's how we end up with all of these appropriations bills not being passed on time, and then they all get rolled up into the omnibus spending bills. And arguably, when all you do is just roll up everything we did last year plus some, and it's a must-pass or else the voters are going to be mad at you because they're not going to be able to get into the national park, um, that's not good governance. No. That's not Congress doing its job. 
And the Congressional Research Service has published a it, it's it, it's they call it an opinion piece. Now, Congressional Research Service usually does sort of background and, and surveys and things of that nature. It's it's a part of Congress. It is not a it is a nonpartisan part of Congress. So it, they do very good research and provide a lot of information. But they published something a couple of years ago, uh, which is fairly long, but it's it's called an opinion. And it's uh, by one of the. A staffer's there, and he is going through and talking about exactly why the breakdown of regular order. He points to exactly the thing you did, which it used to be committee driven, and the committee members had the committee chairman had so much power that they were able to sort of drive through things. And if you bucked the committee chairman, you got uh, you you were not paid attention to. If you wanted something in the bill that didn't happen, you didn't buck the committee chairman. And this was true both among Republicans and Democrats. And he argues that that those committee chairmen were very powerful and were able to do pretty much what they wanted to and were able to push these things through in a in a relatively timely fashion. And we should point out that um, a whole lot of the buildings and a whole lot of the rooms in a lot of the buildings in Washington on Capitol Hill are named after these kinds of legislators. Mm -hmm. These are legislators who became famous for being powerful committee chairs and, you know, in charge of the Ways and Means Committee. And you look at like the Mansfield Room in the Senate and the Longworth Building and all these sorts of things. Uh, these were members of Congress who were able to attain huge amounts of power and influence, again, because they, they, they chaired these powerful committees and they had so much power over the final legislation and who got what they wanted and who didn't. Yeah. And I can recall an instance back in the 90s when a chairman of a committee who was Republican got wind that somebody was going to try to uh, buck him in the committee and overturn what his agenda was. And a friend of mine who had been a former state legislator was just pushing back when she heard that from him. She said, you can't call. You just have to say we're not meeting the committee until you cannot let a member roll you on the committee was yeah. the term she used. Yeah. And that means you can't let the committee get out of your control. You control the committee. If somebody's going to try to somehow or the other take control from you by doing something and having a little bit of a, a mini coup within the committee, you just don't call the committee. You don't bring it together until that person's willing to stop. Yeah. Now, it may not be ideal that you have uh, one, po one member of Congress with that much power, but it's also not ideal what we have today, right? which is this utter dysfunction. Uh, and, and, you know, for at least 16 or 18 years, maybe longer, uh, what, what you simply end up with is instead of bills being written at the committee level and working their way up, you have bills really coming out of the, speakers, the House Speaker's office or the Senate Majority Leader's office, and say, okay, here's the deal, take it or leave it. Mm -hmm. And you just don't have you just don't have your average member of either body actually having a whole lot of input into what happens. Now, we look at Congress today and we say, uh, you know, people are running for Congress and they don't really have any intention of legislating. They just want to get on TV. You know, they're 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 running for Congress to build their own brand, not to actually legislate. And I think that's true. But it might part of the reason for that might be that if you're a first or second or third or fourth term member of Congress, you don't get to do anything anyway because the committees because we don't do regular order because everything comes out of the leadership's offices. So you know it's like it's a it's a it's a spiral of dysfunction. And I remember when Paul Ryan 
the Republican Paul Ryan took mm-hmm. over for John Boehner in the House, one of the things he promised was a return to regular order. Right. He made a big deal out of that. And, and I think he did for one year in, in the, the House. House. I think the right. House passed all of the appropriations bills, but the Senate didn't. Senate, Senate didn't, and right. so it went nowhere. So it went nowhere. And then the following year, I don't think the House passed used regular order and passed yeah, appropriations bills. Yeah, I think it was just that bills. one year. Right. But one of, the, one of the things that the Congressional Research Service says is one of the reasons for the decline in the power of the committees is the uh, increasing polarization in Congress. As, and this, we, we've talked about this before. The parties, both Republicans and Democrats, used to have conservatives, moderates, and liberals on bo- in both parties. You might you only had a few liberals among uh, Republicans and you had some moderates and you had a lot of conservatives and you had a few conservatives among Democrats and some moderates and a lot of liberals. And as time has progressed over the last 20 years, sort of the same period we're talking about, even that has changed to the point that you really don't. You know, in the Senate, you may have somebody who calls themselves a moderate, but they're not. I mean, Mm -hmm. Joe Manchin might be a moderate Democrat, but for the most part, moderates and conservative Democrats are gone for the most part. Uh, liberal Republicans are gone from the party. And so as the parties have tended to um, become more polarized, they sort of sorted themselves out. And so a committee chairman used to be able to say if in the party, well, I've got some liberal Republicans over here who will vote with me on this particular thing. If I'm a Democrat or if I'm a chairman, I'm Republican. I've got some conservative Democrats who I can get to vote with me because they, we sort of agree ideologically. But as the parties have, have, polarized the ideology is democrats are liberals republicans are conservatives so i'm i'm actually fascinated on this topic trying to figure out what caused what yeah what came first the chicken or the egg because is polarization the reason that we don't follow regular order and and chairman of the committees no longer have power or is the fact that these Committee chairmen no longer have power, part of why we have polarization, because you just described a dynamic where there was value in being. You you had a you had you there was value and there was strategic utility mm-hmm. uh for the Democrats to have some some moderate Democrats and for Republicans to have some moderate Republicans. Right. Because when deal making time comes around, suddenly you've got power. Exactly. But so when we and bipartisan power, because yes, you can reach across exactly. people. Rather... So you you kind of wonder, you know, what caused what? And the other topic that comes up along these lines is earmarks, mm-hmm. because uh, Republicans viewed earmarks as the currency of corruption. Now remember what earmarks were. Earmarks were, you know, the the total spending on say like transportation is going to be X. But we are willing to earmark some of that money for specific projects. So, like, if you've got a highway project in your district, you want to you want to guarantee that that particular project gets funded, that they would literally put in the transportation bill specific provisions that that specific project would get funded. And a lot of members would say, to get my vote on this bill, you have to give me these three earmarks or whatever. Now, earmarks did not increase the total amount of spending. This is a common misconception. What earmarks did was take some of the spending that was going to be appropriated and dedicate it to specific projects. Republicans in general were opposed to it. They thought it led to corruption. Mm-hmm. But again, I have, I have to ask, which, what caused what? Um, were earmarks causing corruption? Or is the removal of earmarks now part of why 
the committees don't work anymore and why regular order doesn't work anymore. So, you know, I think it's easy to look back on, you know, 20, 25 years ago and say the committee chairs were too powerful and earmarks led to corruption and all this kind of stuff. But then you look at the utter dysfunction that we have now where there is no one ever does any zero baseline budgeting. No one ever asks, should we continue to fund this particular project? Those questions don't even get asked because the way they would get asked is in committees during regular order, during hearings and committee meetings, and those things just don't happen anymore. So with this polarization, here's the Congressional Research Service, and I'm quoting, in the 1950s, 1960s, and 1970s, the typical member of Congress voted with his or her party on a party-dividing question just 60% of the time. In the 1980s, over 70% of the time. In the 1990s, over 80% of the time. In the 2000s, have witnessed the uh, witnessed party uni- unity scores in the 90%. Uh, in the, uh, yeah, 90%, where it remains today. So a, a Senate president pro tem observed, and I'm quoting, most Democrats are left, most Republicans are to the right, and there are very few centrists in between. And the point they're trying to make is there is that the parties used to be able to split a little bit, but yep. now 90%, you're going to vote, if you're a Republican, you vote with your party 90% of the time, same thing with a Democrat. And so this, this, this polarization, which is you know, probably caused by a variety of topics. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this there's this big sort going on where essentially people are moving to parts of the country that more align with their politics. And then you have gerrymandering, gerrymandering, which both parties have done with equal aplomb in order to, you know, guarantee as many red districts or blue districts as possible. So there's probably lots of explanations for it. Um, but it, the sum total of all of this seems to be Worse governance, yes. not better governance. I don't think anyone would argue that what we, the way we see Congress operating today, which is abandoning committee work, abandoning regular order, uh, just doing these huge big omnibus, uh, you know, spending bills, that w- which is you know, it's like live or die by the omnibus spending bill. That that's not good budgeting. In fact, that's the absence of budgeting. That's not good governance. That's not good oversight. That's not legislating. And he goes, the, the author on this goes on to say that what's essentially happening is at times you have one party governance and we are looking more and more like a parliamentarian system yes, at yes. times than we are at others because it's not the individual members. It's not the committee chairs. It is the party leaders that right. determine what everybody's going to do. Yeah. And they'll set the stage. And then once the stage is set, then you have to stay with your party. And it's looking increasingly like the one party governance where the only thing that really gets done in a major thing, in a major sense, when there are divisions is uh, you get uh, the one part when the one party's in. So the, it uses the Affordable Care Act as one mm-hmm. example where Democrats wanted to push through uh, health care reform. They couldn't get any Republicans, didn't listen to Republicans, got through what they wanted. But when it came to tax reform in 2017, Republicans were able to get their tax reform done on a party line vote with no Democrats voting for it. Yeah, you're right. Um, that's a really interesting point that we're we're behaving more and more like a parliamentary <laughs> system to where, you know, A, the only time we get anything done is when one party controls everything. Mm-hmm. And B, it's like when when a when a party is not in control of everything, 
they sort of don't feel any obligation to get anything done. It's like, well, what do you expect? We're not, we don't control everything, so so right. we so we have no we have no obligation to legislate. We have no obligation to do anything because we can't just dictate what we want in legislation. And I think that feeds a very common misunderstanding that a lot of American voters have that we have a parliamentary system. Now they wouldn't say, "I believe America has a parliamentary system," but mm-hmm. that's how they vote. That's how they vote for president. Right. You know, a president makes all these promises. If you let me, I'm going to do X, Y. Well, no, no, they're not. No, they're not. It's Congress that will decide what gets done or not, not the president. And and, and the, he even touches on that because mm-hmm. he says, in the, I'm quoting again, in the 1970s and 80s, an average of around 30% of voters split their tickets for congressional and presidential candidates in different parties. Today, the corresponding number is around 10%. Mm. Yeah. So, and, and the interesting thing about the trend you described is that it predates some of the factors I was mentioning. Mm-hmm. It predates contract with America. It predates term limits on committee chairs. It predates eliminating earmarks. Uh, it, it suggests that this tendency toward polarization has is not a short-term thing. It's been going on for quite a while. been going on for a yeah. little while, yeah. yes. Now, we don't necessarily have any solutions on this podcast. No, we don't. But... It's nice every once in a while to remind ourselves uh, that things can be better and that Congress is simply not functioning as Congress is supposed to function. So uh, one of the benefits of these Policy Basics podcasts is that we want our audience to be up to speed on some of these terms for our audience to understand how things are supposed to work when they don't. And so when you hear people occasionally using the phrase regular order or return to regular order, That's what they're talking about. They're talking about Congress using the system that is actually outlined in the rules and procedures of the of the congressional bodies Mm -hmm. following their own rules uh, with not all of the power held in the office of the speaker or the office of the majority leader, but power being distributed among committees, among committee chairs. And again, if the if the system of old bulls was a bad system, I kind of think it was still better than what we see today. Well, you can learn more about Congress and the functioning of Congress at our website at IPI.org. And you can learn more about a lot of these policy topics and concepts by listening to other episodes of our IPI Policy Basics podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, how about giving us a favorable review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform? You can also help to sponsor these Policy Basics podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.